بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So we're continuing today with hadith number 20 the hadith where the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said, إِذَا لَمْ If you have no shame, then do as you wish. And uh, in our previous session, we, uh, there was a bit of a struggle in trying to uh, explain the difference of opinion or the various different explanations that the scholars have given concerning this matter. And we said that we'll make some type of visual aid which uh, something has been prepared so what I'll do is I'll, um, there's 20 of these sheets so maybe I don't know 15 amongst the brothers and you can share them and then if, if we can get five somehow to the sisters is that possible? is there some child? Some... Hmm? what shall I pass this to? Uh, if um, if there isn't uh, if there aren't en enough sheets, then what to do is take a picture of it. At least take a picture of it on your phone and then and then look at it on your phone. So um, we have the whiteboard, but I'm not the fastest of writers unless you want to do the writing. So while the sheet is being distributed, the hadith reads, If you have no shame, then do as you wish. What does this mean? Because the messenger here is saying, If you have no shame, do as you wish. It's, it's a command. He's saying, do as you wish. Literally, it's a command. If you have no shame, do as you wish. So, literally, it's, it's a command. But what does this hadith mean? There are two statements from the scholars. There are two opinions concerning the interpretation of this hadith. What was the Prophet meaning when he said, do as you wish? If you have no shame, do as you wish. Is there some for the, have you given some for the sisters, huh? Yeah? Okay. What did the Prophet mean when he said, if you have no shame, do as you wish? What's the meaning of this, of the, of this statement? What's he trying to, what does it imply? What's he trying to say? What's the message that he's trying to convey? So there are two explanations. One is that it's dispraise and prohibition. Okay, as you can see, in box that's been uh, that has the letter A in it. It is dispraise and it is prohibition. B is that it's a literal command. He actually means do it, do as you wish. If you have no shame, do it, do as you wish, do that thing that you have no shame for. He literally means it. Okay. Everybody with me so far? Two explanations. One explanation is that the Prophet was dispraising a lack of shame, 
a lack of haya and he's prohibiting it he's saying he, he is saying that it is haram he's saying that not having haya is haram not having shame is haram and he's dispraising it he is dispraising have having a lack of haya another opinion of the scholars is that the prophet isn't saying that a lack of haya is haram he is not dispraising a lack of haya he's actually saying do it if you have no shame he literally means do it do the thing that you have no shame concerning how 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 could the prophet say if you have no shame then do that thing meaning we'll explain this bit first unless somebody wants to uh, explain from what we covered last session yes yeah if it's something that you're not meant to have shame in anyhow like praying salah like having good manners like doing good deeds giving charity are you meant to be shameful about giving charity no are you meant to be shameful and shy about having good manners good good etiquette no so the prophet is saying those things that you're not meant to be shy about then do whatever of those things that you want to do whatever you wish from those things then you can do them do them okay so when a group of scholars have explained this hadith to me it is a literal command our prophet is literally commanding us to do those things that we have no shame concerning no shyness concerning what they mean by that, what those scholars mean by that, uh, is that the Prophet is saying that those things that you're not meant to be shy in front of Allah about anyhow, you're not meant to be shy in front of other people about anyhow, then you can do them. Is that understood? Okay. So that was the second explanation. The one that's been itemized as explanation B. Let's go back to explanation A because that's further divided into two parts. So explanation A is that the prophet is saying, if you have no shame, do as you wish. What he means by that is that it is haram not to have shame. And he is dispraising against having a lack of shame. How? How does the wording in the hadith indicate this? How does the wording in the hadith where the Prophet said, if you, have a, if you have no shame, do as you wish. How does the wording in the hadith indicate them, which means dispraise, and nahi, which means prohibition? How does the wording in the hadith indicate them and nahi? That there is, is explained by the scholars in two ways. So one way, which is item, itemized as uh, explanation one, in the bottom left-hand corner of the sheet, that when the Prophet is saying, do as you wish, if you have no shame, do as you wish, this here, this when the Prophet is saying, do as you wish, is a threat and a warning. When the Prophet is saying, if you have no shame, do as you wish this command here is an actual threat 
It's a threat and a caution in the form of a command. Literally, it's in the form of a command. But what it actually means is you're being threatened now. You're being cautioned now. You're being warned now. That if it is the case that you end up having a lack of shame, having a lack of shyness, then watch what's going to happen to you. You're going to face the consequences of that. Like for example, Allah says in the Quran, and Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he mentioned the ayah, اِعْمَلُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ إِنَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Do as you wish, Allah says. Do as you wish. Indeed, He is seeing what you do. He is seeing what you do. So Allah here, even though He's commanding the people, do as you wish, in reality, He is, what's He doing? Hmm? Warning and threatening. Yeah? He doesn't actually mean, do as you wish, do the haram, no. Meaning, do it and then see what's going to happen to you. Another ayah. فَعْبُدُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ مِن دُونِهِ Worship whatever you want from those things that are besides Allah. Allah is saying in this ayah, worship whatever you want besides Allah. Now, is Allah really going to command people to worship things besides Him? He's not really going to command people literally to worship things besides Him. So why is He saying this? What's the meaning of this ayah? Worship whatever you want besides Me. Threats, warning, cautioning. Meaning, if you're going to worship someone besides me, if you're going to worship whatever you want to worship, then be prepared for what's going to happen. Huh? Be prepared for the punishment that you're going to face and so on and so forth. So this is one way that this wording of this hadith implies dispraise and prohibition. It implies dispraise and prohibition because it is a threat and a warning uh, against having a lack of shame. The other explanation as to how this hadith is a, is a uh, prohibition and a dispraise of a lack of shyness is that it is khabar. It is information. The Prophet is conveying information to us. When the Prophet said, if you have no shame, do as you wish, he's not actually commanding us to do what we want. And he's not directly threatening us. It's not a threat. It's not a caution. He's actually telling us something. He's providing us with, with, he's providing us with some information. What's the information that, that he's providing us with? What's the information that he's providing us with? He said, if you have no shame, then do as you wish. This bit here that is literally a command, do as you wish. It's actually information. It's actually khabar. It's, it's information that the Prophet is communicating to us. What's the information then? What does this hadith mean if it's the case that it implies khabar? Ah. Having shame prevents you from doing anything. Huh? From doing whatever you want. Yes? Something more. Yes. If you have no shame, then you will end up doing whatever you want to do. It's khabar. It's information. 
So it's not a threat, a caution, a warning. The Prophet is giving us khabar, he's giving us information. That, that man that has no shame, he will actually end up doing whatever he wants. If you have no shame, no shyness, then there is some information that I'm going to provide you. Information about what you're going to end up doing. That information is that if you have no shame, then you will end up doing whatever you want to do. That is the khabar. What is this hadith similar to as far as the wording is concerned? There is another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ makes a statement. The wording is such as though it is a command. The wording of the hadith is such as though he is commanding somebody with something. But that command isn't really a command, it's khabar, it's information. Do you know which hadith I'm talking about here? Yeah? Seat in the hellfire? Aywah. Whoever, uh, whoever says, uh, whoever lies against me, the Prophet said, whoever lies against me, then let him. Now comes the command. Whoever lies against me, then let him take his seat in the fire of hell. This word here, let him take his seat in the fire of hell, is a command. Literally, it's a command. But the Prophet isn't actually commanding the person to go and take his seat up in the fire of hell. In reality, he's just providing us with information, providing us with news. What's the news? What's the information? That the person who lies against Prophet Muhammad he will end up being in the fire of hell. He will, he will end up taking up a seat in the fire of hell. Even though the wording was, as far as the literal wording is concerned, was a command. However, the actual meaning of it was information that the person who lies against Prophet Muhammad will take his seat in the fire of hell. Similar to that is this particular hadith. Whoever has no shame will end up doing whatever he wants even though the wording of the hadith was if you have no shame do as you wish but the meaning of it was whoever doesn't have any shame then he will do whatever he wants and that is how this particular hadith is or the meaning of it is a dispraise and a prohibition against having no shame that the prophet is giving us information that the one who doesn't have shame he will end up doing whatever he wants so there are two ways that this hadith is a form of them and nahi a form of dispraise and a form of prohibition one explanation for it being like that is that the prophet was threatening and cautioning and warning against having a lack of shame and the other explanation is that the prophet was providing us information the information that whoever doesn't have shame he will end up doing whatever he wants whatever he wants to do whether they are ra'il and they are evil despicable prohibited matters matters that are disgusting matters that are vile matters that Allah has prohibited he won't care if he has no shame he won't care, he'll end up doing those things. So those are the two ways that the scholars have explained.
that this hadith is a them and is a nahi, is a dispraise and a prohibition against having a lack of shame. Any questions? Are you sure? Right. Hopefully that's ex that uh, has clarified anything that anybody was uh, confused about last week. Tamam. Moving on to the next part of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbas' explanation is he quotes from Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala who said he said وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْحَيَاءَ نَوْعَانَ أَحَدُهُمَا مَا كَانَ خُلُقًا وَجِبِلَّةً غَيْرْ مُكْتَسَبٍ وَهُوَ مِنْ أَجَلِ الْأَخْلَاقَ الَّتِي يَمْنَحُهَا اللَّهُ الْعَبْدِ ويجبله عليها ولهذا قال صلى الله عليه وسلم الحياء لا يأتي إلا بخير فإنه, فإنه يكف عن ارتكاب القبائح ودناءة الأخلاق ويحث على استعمال مكارم الأخلاق ومعاليها فهو من خصال الإيمان بهذا الاعتبار ابن رجب الحنبلي رحمه الله تعالى he mentioned that حياء shame and shyness is of two types shame and shyness is of two types number one that shyness that shame which is jibili it's innate within you you were born like that some people you find regardless of life's circumstances regardless of even their upbringing at times regardless of the environment that they were raised in regardless of all of these other factors they're just well-mannered people nice people kind people well-mannered kind people they just like that the family might not be like that his environment might not be like that but he is just like that ever since he was a little boy he was just a nice, well-mannered person. He reached his teens. Well, nice-mannered young man. Adulthood. And so on and so forth. He's just, it's just jibili. It's just ingrained within him. That is how Allah made him. That is his character. That is his character. That's a blessing. That's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah has made you ever since day dot to be a well-mannered person people are blessed with lots of things different things people are blessed with money people are blessed with having children people are blessed with health people are blessed likewise with good manners good etiquettes fine etiquettes so that is one type of haya one type of shame and shyness meaning you were born like that. Some people, they were just born shy, born shameful. If you say something that is a bit, uh, maybe not haram, but it's a bit, uh, bit, of a, bit of a taboo, for example, to mention something like that. It's not from maru'a. It's not from maru'a. Maru'a, yani, maru'a, no, maru'ah, yani those things that don't impair a person's integrity. Maru'ah, 
manly characteristics, you could say. Maru'ah, manly characteristics. Knightly characteristics. You know, a knight in shining armor. Huh? There are certain characteristics that a man has. And likewise, a woman. Certain characteristics, certain, a certain uh, way that he carries himself. A certain demeanor that he has, which, sh um, which makes him respected. He's a respectable person, a gentleman, a respectable person. Maru'ah. Maru'ah. That's why if one of the conditions of a hadith to be sahih is that the person that's a narrator in that hadith, he has adala with him. He is adal. He's upright. What's upright? Meaning he's someone that is mustaqim upon the deen, steadfast upon the deen. Person that is known for diana, for religiousness, keeps away from the haram, does the wajibat, and he's not known for khawarim al muru'ah. He's not known for those things that taint his muru'ah. Taint his muru'ah. Sheikh Ali, a better translation for muru'ah. Huh? Manliness, you could say. Huh? Integrity, respect. So for, and it's not necessarily something that's haram. Back in the days, in the time of the Salaf, if they saw you in some of the eras, if they saw you eating ice cream in public, your maru'ah is gone. <laughs> your manliness, your integrity, the respect that people have for you, it's gone. So maru'ah isn't something that's related to something being halal or haram. No, it's something that is related to the zaman and the makan, the era that you live in, the land that you live in, the culture that you live in. It's based upon the time, the era, the culture. So, for example, in today's time, in today's era, I think I've got a feeling I've given this example before. This example is a nice example that I heard from uh, our teacher, Abu Abbas, uh, Musa Richardson. <laughs> yeah. For example, if somebody came to the masjid to deliver a dars like this, or deliver the Jumu'ah khutbah, or the Eid khutbah, but he came wearing a bathrobe, would people take him seriously now? Huh? Would, would you take a person, imagine somebody comes here, sits down, says, I'm going to give a dars on Arba'een and Nawi, the 40 ahadith of Imam and Nawi. But he comes wearing a nice pink bathrobe, let's call it. Huh? And is that, <laughs> would, you, would you have any respect for him? You wouldn't, would you? Is it haram to wear a bathrobe? No, it's not haram. It's covering your aura. But even the non-Muslim, the kafir, he would lose respect. He would not treat the person seriously that comes to deliver a public speech and he's wearing a bathrobe. Okay? So that there is an example that I heard from a Sheikh Musa Richardson to kind of highlight to us and to kind of illustrate to us um, using a modern day example what khawarim al-maru'ah is. What those things that taint a person's manhood is. So... The point anyway that I was trying to mention is that you may, somebody 
may end up saying something to you which isn't haram but it shows that uh, it's not from muru'ah to say those type of things somebody may say something which is from khawarim al-muru'ah so you become shy about it you become shameful about it you become bashful you see something and you become bashful he hears something that causes him to become shy she hears something that causes her to become shy this is something that is Jibili. Why is he like that? Why is she like that? She was born like that. He was born like that. That is just how Allah made him. That is just how Allah created her. So that's one form of shyness. That shyness that is Jibili. It's just ingrained within him and her. The second form of shyness, the second form of shyness is Makana Muktasab min Ma'rifatillah. The second form of shyness is not that type of shyness that you may have been born with. It may just be innate within you. No, maybe not. However, you ended up acquiring it. You earned it. You worked for it. You got it. You acquired it. It's muqtasab. It's earned. And how is it earned? It is earned by having awareness of Allah, knowledge and awareness of Allah. Knowledge and awareness of the might and the greatness of Allah. Knowledge and awareness of how close Allah is to you. Knowledge and awareness of how Allah is continuously seeing what you're doing well acquainted with what you're doing and that nothing regardless of how discreet it may be is hidden from him subhanahu wa ta'ala even what is inside your hearts everything is known to him everything is seen by him everything is heard by him so as a result of that knowledge and awareness that you have about allah and the knowledge that allah has about you as a result of that knowledge and awareness that you have, you end up acquiring shyness. You end up acquiring and attaining haya, shyness. فَهَذَا مِنْ أَعْلَى خِصَالِ الْإِيمَانِ بَلْ هُوَ مِنْ أَعْلَى دَرَجَاتِ الْإِحْسَانِ And therefore this, this shyness, this shyness that is acquired by knowledge of Allah, knowledge of how close Allah is to you, this shyness is from the highest features of iman rather it is from the highest levels of ihsan we've covered this before that our religion is of levels islam iman ihsan ihsan is the highest part and having this shyness of allah shyness before allah that is the highest level of ihsan the next thing that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad mentions is how this shyness from Allah can be produced. Okay, so shyness in front of Allah can be produced as a result of the knowledge that you gain of Allah. You learn about how close Allah is to you. Not learn, not just learn, 
Because learning, learning and studying and turning the pages and memorizing, that's one thing. But when we say ma'rifa, ma'rifa of Allah, it's not just data that you have about Allah. It's not just information that you've memorized about Allah. No, meaning knowledge that you have pondered over now, reflected over now, considered deeply now, and as a result of that, it's had an impact upon you. It's had an effect upon you. Okay, because you'll find people that have masters, masters in Islamic aqidah, in Islamic belief system. Yet you can clearly see it has, had, it has had very little effect upon him. Because, for example, when you learn about the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, you read the ayat, you might not be very educated about Arabic and the Qur'an, but you read an ayah where Allah from above the heavens is praising the companions, then naturally, because you've thought about it, what's going to develop in your heart towards the companions? If Rabbu Samawati Wal Ard is praising this generation of men and women known as the companions, what is going to develop in your heart for those companions? Mahabbah, uh, love. Okay, so if you're going to love them, how are you going to feel towards those people that hate the companions? That curse, you're going to naturally hate anybody that hates Abu Bakr. You're naturally going to hate someone that hates Umar. If you, if you read ayat and ahadith in which Aisha anha, is being described as your mother, mother of the believers, Ummul Mu'mineen. If you read that, unless you're just a man of data who's really, really good at memorizing, collecting information inside his, his mind, Unless you're one of those type of people, then as soon as you read about Aisha anha, as soon as you read that she is your mother, mother in Iman, mother of the believers, then naturally the person that curses Aisha anha, you're gonna have hatred for him. Not a violent form of hatred, but a hatred in your heart towards that person. Okay. So then really and truly, the person who has attained a master's degree, big, massive thesis he's authored on Islamic creed, for example, at a, at a, 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 a renowned Islamic university. But then he has none of this wala wal bara, he has none of this love and hate for Aisha anha. He has none of this love and he has none of this love and hate for the companions. So when it comes to the Shia, he says, yes, we're the same, we're brothers. Yeah, we have certain doctrinal differences, but we'll cooperate together. Can any person who loves Aisha, can any person who loves Abu Bakr, can any person who loves the companions say about the Shia that we have just small doctrinal differences? Can any person work with the Shia? Any person who has reflected upon belief about the companions? No, no person can. So the point that we're trying to emphasize here it, is that it's not about data. This knowledge that you gain about Allah isn't about data. Data that you acquire about Allah. So that when an exam comes, bam, you can knock out that exam like no man's business and 
get flying marks in there. That's not what it's about. It's about tadabbur. It's about thinking about it, reflecting about it, so that it has an impact upon you, even if it is little. So even if the knowledge, the point here is, even if the knowledge that you have about Allah is little, you've just embraced Islam, you've read a hadith Qudsi, you've read certain, you've listened to certain lectures, and you've come to recognize Allah, know about Allah, that little knowledge that you've gained in the past couple of months since you've embraced, since you've started practicing, that knowledge, if it has a impact upon you, then you are far greater than the one that has a master's degree from a renowned Islamic university, yet he says that the Shias and the Sunnis, we are the same. You are greater than him, you are better than him, and the impact of knowledge has had a greater effect upon you than him. Even though he has memorized Sahih Bukhari or Muslim perhaps, doesn't make any difference what a person's memorized and what he's learned if it has no effect upon him. So the point that we're trying to make here is that ma'rifah of Allah, knowledge and awareness of Allah is one of those things that brings about haya in your heart, shame and shyness in your heart, shame and shyness that is praiseworthy no doubt. But another thing that brings about shyness and shame in your heart, continuing from where, from what uh, Imam Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali mentioned, is another thing that brings about shyness and shameness in your heart is وَقَدْ يَتَوَلَّدَ الْحَيَاءُ مِنَ اللَّهِ مِنْ مُطَالَعَةِ مِنْ مُطَالَعَةِ نِعَمِهِ وَرُؤْيَةِ التَّقْسِيرِ فِي شُكْرِهَا Another thing that brings about shyness and shame is a person looking at the blessings of Allah looking at the blessings of Allah upon you really giving that careful consideration really investigating and thinking about the blessings of Allah upon you that's one thing it's twofold this particular aspect here this particular method of acquiring shyness has um, two parts to it. One part is that a person, he looks at all of the blessings of Allah upon him. He really gives it careful thought and consideration, careful reflection, counts them. That's one part, counting the blessings of Allah. The second is realizing your deficiency in thanking Allah back. The second part is realizing your deficiency in paying gratitude, paying gratitude to Allah for those blessings. So this second method of, of, of acquiring shyness is twofold. Number one, looking at the blessings of Allah, counting the blessings of Allah, and the second, realizing your deficiency in thanking Allah for those blessings. So for example, the blessing, and I mention this quite often, the blessing of the elbow. It might seem as something that is insignificant, but we would be rendered into a state similar to the, to the animals if we did not have this blessing of the elbow. Why, Ya Ammar? 
Ammar, if we did not have this elbow, then how would we become similar to the animals? What would become similar between us and animals if we didn't have the elbows? Any ideas? You couldn't worship, you could worship, you could read the Quran and things like this. Uh, you'd have to? You'd have to walk on the floor? No, your, your knees can still bend. Your knees can still bend. We don't need our elbows to walk. Eating and drinking. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. If you stretch your arm out and lock your elbows, you'll notice that now you can't bend your arm. Why can't you bend your arm? Because the elbow is needed in order for the arm to bend. And the, the food, the morsel of food that you pick up from the plate and put in your mouth, from your hand, can only happen if there is an elbow there. That's just one blessing. How about the blessing of the eyelashes, for example? How about the blessing of your digestive system and being able to digest your food. Have you ever had a stomach ache before? How painful it can be. Now imagine if you weren't blessed with all of those digestive enzymes that break down your food and allow you to be able to get rid of the waste. Then if you didn't have that, imagine how much pain you'd be in. That's another blessing. Another blessing. The blessing of your family, the blessing of being able to eat, the blessing of oxygen. Oxygen is such a blessing. If you did not have oxygen, if you were deprived of oxygen, have you ever suffocated before? You only realize how much of a blessing it is when you go through something whereby you have a lack of that blessing. So ever been in a situation where, for example, you're swimming and there's you, you, you start to, um, you know, start to drown and what have you. How frightening it becomes. Now you start to appreciate oxygen. Light. Ever been deprived of light? There's no light for a while. How much you appreciate it. And so on and so forth. So, if we were to actually take out some time. Take out some time. Time of reflection. And just start to count one by one the blessings of Allah. And not just the number of blessings, but the value of those blessings. Then, once we've done that, start to think about how grateful we are. Start to think about how thankful we are to Allah for those blessings. Once you realize that, then you'll become ashamed. Once you realize how good Allah is to you, and then you realize how little you pay gratitude to Him, then you become ashamed of yourself. You become shy now in front of Allah. And thus, as a result of that, you'll acquire this beautiful characteristic of haya, of shame, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In conclusion, the second part of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad's explanation to this hadith, which is, as we all know, a summary of the benefits. Three points of summary, uh, three points of benefit. Number one, that 
that the characteristic of having haya, the, this good manner of having haya, is one of those noble characteristics that has been mentioned by previous prophets. And it's been passed down generation after generation through those prophets or from those prophets. Previous prophets prior to Prophet Muhammad made a mention of Al-Haya that if you have no shame then do as you wish. If you have no Haya, do as you wish. And this statement carried on to be circulated amongst people until it reached the time of the Prophet Number two, in this hadith is an encouragement, an encouragement about having al-haya, encouragement and inciting about having haya, and pointing towards the virtue of haya. Haya isn't something. Shame, having a lack of having shame and shyness, isn't just any type of good deed. It's a very, very noble good deed. This hadith indicates that. It encourages us to have haya, and, and it indicates the virtue of al-haya. And number three, أَنَّ فُقْدَ الْحَيَاءَ يُوقِعُ صَاحِبَهُ فِي كُلِّ شَرٍ Number three, that a lack of shame, a lack of shyness, causes a person to perpetrate all forms of evil. A lack of shame, a lack of shyness, causes a person to perpetrate all forms of evil and despicable and vile things. Dependent upon the lack of haya you have, dependent upon the lack of haya a person has, then relative to that he'll end up perpetrating evil, evil that is uh, equivalent to the lack of haya that he has. The more shameless a person is, the more shameful deeds he'll end up doing. Tamam, so I think we will conclude at this point, and then insha'Allah ta'ala, next lesson, we will continue with al-hadith al-wahid wal-ishroon, wal-thani wal-ishroon insha'Allah. The next two ahadith, hadith 21 and 22, we will study bi-idhnillah next week. والله تعالى أعلم وصلي الله مع على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين. so the عفوا sorry for not being clear. Ibn Rajab again Ibn Rajab he mentions. so the question is what was the second form of modesty that Ibn Rajab al Hanbali mentioned. the question is what is the second form of modesty that Ibn Rajab al Hanbali mentioned. So what was the first one? Jibilli. The first form of modesty that Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali mentioned was that modesty that is just inborn. You have some people, they are just born with modesty and shyness. Born like that, created like that. Regardless of whatever environmental factors he was raised in, uh, envir environment that he was raised in and other factors, regardless of that, he is just like that. The second is muktasab. The second is the shyness and the modesty that is muktasab. It's earned. It's acquired. 
perhaps you weren't born with shyness you weren't raised with shyness you weren't a modest person before but later on when you look at him even though before he wasn't shy later on he becomes Muslim or he was a Muslim but he starts now becoming mustaqim observant of his deen now all of us now you find him to be a very shy person now you find him to be a very a person with a lot of modesty how why he wasn't like that before he wasn't like that as a kid he wasn't like that as a teenager but now he is how did he become like that muktasab it was earned he earned it he acquired it how did he acquire it well we've mentioned some ways by how you can acquire modesty how can you acquire modesty Mention some methods about acquiring modesty. Knowledge of, knowledge of deen specifically, Allah, and specifically about how close Allah is to you and how He's seeing you and hearing you, how close Allah is to you and nothing is hidden from you. When, you. when you realize that, then you become shy in front of Allah. Another method, the blessings. Can you elaborate upon it? Number one, count your blessings and? And number two, uh, uh, uh. sorry, say that again. Yeah, so yeah, realize how ungrateful you are to Allah, essentially, or how, yeah, how deficient you are as far as giving thanks to Allah is concerned. Okay, so Ibn Rajab mentioned certain methods as to how you can acquire modesty and shyness. One of them is by developing awareness of Allah. Not awareness in amassing lots of knowledge, that's well and good. But meaning, having knowledge of Allah that you actually think about and you reflect over and it has an impact upon you. Even if that knowledge and awareness of Allah is little. Another method is reflecting over the blessings of Allah, counting the blessings of Allah, and then realizing the lack of thanks and gratitude that you pay to Allah for those blessings. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, taqwa as we know is defined as uh, fulfilling the obligations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and keeping away from the muharramat. So as far as being shy in front of Allah, shy in front of Allah, in keeping away from the haram and doing the wajibat is concerned, and that enters into the definition of taqwa. Anything else? Did somebody raise their hand? Following the sunnah of the Messenger والسلام, again, that enters into that which is part and parcel of taqwa. Why? Because it, it is, obli it is a, 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 an obligation. It is mandatory for us to follow the Prophet. Uh, uh, lying the Prophet. Yeah. Yes, no doubt. Lying against the Prophet is going against the Sunnah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, to fabricate a hadith in the mawdu'at, fabricate a hadith, you know, read such and such a thing 1,000 times and then such and such a thing will happen. You find these circulated WhatsApps, for example, fabricated a hadith. Yeah, yeah, pass this song, you get this much barakah. Things like that, that's just an example, okay? So that's a fabrication. Anything else? Yeah. تمام خلاص إخوان سنتل نكس ويك والله تعالى عالم وصلي الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين